certainly appreciate all you can do for Ukraine. Um, I met Kirk Priest 16 years ago when I was in Poland. He was a newer missionary, and he had a unique ministry where he had a coffee shop church right there in Berlin. It was a coffee shop that he turned into a church and coffee house ministry, uh, just cutting edge, a really sharp guy. And then this week, I was able to contact uh, Rich McLean, who is a missionary also in Poland, who we are going to send funds to. I had about a five-minute conversation with him, and with, with tears in his eyes, I could tell from the tone of his voice, He says, never in his life has he witnessed such chaos, despair, as he stands at a train station and he watches all the refugees from Ukraine get off that train. He says, the Polish police have been so phenomenal, so compassionate, so kind, and and so considerate. But he says, "These, these people are coming off with just despair. He says he'll never, ever forget the look upon these people's faces who, who are leaving their home country because of the devastation. And uh, we want to get this money out as soon as possible. So uh, if you can, we, we, we said we were going to do an offering last week. We did, and some people weren't ready to give. So if you can give today. Uh, Monday, we want to send that money off to Springfield. In fact, I want to overnight it to Springfield so it gets in his account so that he can have funds available to help uh, these refugees as well as churches in Poland who are taking in the refugees. Each year, the Assemblies of God has a theme for their world missions. And this year, the theme is, He is Worthy. It's taken from Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, where it says that you are worthy because you were slain. And with your blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe and language, people and nations. He is worthy this morning, isn't he? Well, you know how much I love routine. I always love to know where I'm going and how I'm going to get there. That's just me. And over the past two weeks, I have been preparing myself to speak on the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28 in preparation for next week's missions convention. January, I was reading a devotional from Luke chapter 17. And there's a phrase from Luke chapter 17 that hasn't left my mind. And it's this simple phrase, as in the days of Noah. How many know that scripture verse? As in the days of Noah. And since January... That phrase has been on my mind as in the days of Noah. Well, Thursday morning I was coming to work and I get here early, very early on Thursdays for sermon prep. And I'm riding down Jackson Mills Road 
as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah, and as in the days of Noah, I knew I was in trouble because it was time to scratch the mission, the great the message that was in preparation on the Great Commission. And I just sat before the Lord saying, God, what is it that you have from this passage of Scripture that as in the days of Noah? Well, the message of my sermon today, the title of my message is a sobering reminder. And right away from the title of this message, you know that this message is going to deal with some serious matters. I've always said there are some sermons that are fun to preach, and there are other sermons, man, that are hard. And Well, those who are watching online, they have the advantage. If you don't like what I'm here saying, you can turn it off. And if you don't like it, you can get up and walk out. But uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about what I consider some serious matters. Because he is worthy. Would you stand for the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 17? Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given to marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this On the day the Son of Man is revealed. You may be seated. This is a passage in the New Testament that reminds us of the graphic details of the days of Noah as it's recorded in Genesis chapter 6. And as I looked over the events of the days of Noah, this is what I took note of. It was a culture where there was no thought was given to God. It was a culture where there was no thought was given to God or the consideration of one's activity. As in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And I can't help but look at the similarities of the days of Noah and some of the things that are taking place in society today because truly we are living in a culture where there's no thought given to God or the consequences of one's activity. Let me talk about some of the similarities that I see. First, I see an acceleration of sinfulness. Sinfulness, sin is running rampant. 
The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. As I looked in the days of Noah as a day of today, there's a lack of spiritual separation. Now think about the days of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. What was the enemy's tool? How did Satan, what did Satan use? Think about it. Was it not that he tried to destroy the godly line of Seth? The sons of God, the line of Seth, intermingling with the daughters of man, Cain's line, an evil line. And all throughout Scripture, why did God tell the Israelites to to get rid of the inhabitants of Cana? So that they would not pick up on the worship of idols. But because they failed, there was always the compromise. Remember the Moabites who were afraid of the Israelites? They went to Balaam and said, hey, can we pay you to put a curse on the Israelites? And he wouldn't do that. But what advice did Balaam give to the Moabites of how they could bring down the Israelites? Do you remember? Give the Israelites your daughters. And then your daughters will ask them to sacrifice to their gods. And before you know it, what was taking place? Israel was worshiping false gods and Baal. Failure to separate. compromise I believe one of the Lord the enemy's greatest ways to separate us from spiritual things is to constantly get us to compromise with worldly values it was Charles Swindoll who said the swift wind of compromise is a lot more devastating than the sudden jolts of misfortune kind of interesting you know, and Satan, instead of trying to give us a sudden jolt of misfortune, before you know it, we're compromising our values and our morals. And we are no longer separated. And, and the world can't tell us between the world and whether we're a Christian or not. Compromise will always lead to a lack of moral standards. Compromise always leads to a lack of moral standards. It used to be years ago, if it feels good, do it. Now the standard is everything's okay as long as it's not hurting somebody. And if it's not hurting somebody, then what can be wrong with it? But God has set a standard for us as a church. 
God has set a standard for his people. And her standard is be holy. For I am holy. But you know what we do with that? We start compromising. We start trying to justify. Pastor, because I live in a sinful world and because I'm a sinner, how does God even expect me to be holy? I know one day I will be holy. But we just justify our sin saying we're a sinner and we live in a sinful world. And how is it possible, Pastor, for me to be holy in this sinful world? I often think of that when we say that. We devalue the power of the third person of the Trinity who takes up resonance in our life, the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given us the power of His Holy Spirit to live a holy life. Now, Are we going to make mistakes? Are there going to be failures? But there has to be a desire and an effort. And we have to make it a prayer that we would be holy as he is holy. In 1963, Gallup Poll did a survey. 60 5% of all Americans believed in the literal Bible. 65% of America in 1963 believed in the literacy of the Bible. The absolute truth. You know what the percentage is today? 32%. 32%. We live in a society, in a culture today, where there are no absolute truths anymore. We grew up, I grew up in an era where the world mostly believed, where the, America mostly believed that there were absolute truths. Some would vary, but overall, We had a knowledge of what was right and what was wrong. Today, 30% of America believes in absolute morals, absolute standards, absolute truths. I have so enjoyed meeting on Saturday mornings with a group of men in our small uh, group Bible studies Saturday mornings, and we've been doing Jerry Bridges' book, The Pursuit of Godliness. He wrote a book, The Pursuit of Holiness. I, I would highly recommend The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. Awesome book. After that book, he wrote The, uh, the Pursuit of Godliness, and we've been doing that on Saturday mornings. And a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about holiness in his chapter, listen to his quote. Any Christian not earnestly pursuing holiness in every aspect of his life, is flying in the face of God's purpose for saving him. Is flying in the face for God's purpose for saving him? I, I, that's why I enjoy reading, because you learn something new all the time. And, and I was like, flying in the face. Hey, Pastor Todd, have you ever heard? The, the, yeah, flying in the face. And he, he said, yeah, he's heard it before. And, and we were just discussing it. 
flying in the face. Any Christian who's not pursuing holiness in every aspect of his life is flying in the face, is in opposition, is opposed to why God saved you. God saved you to, for you to be holy. And it's time that we stop compromising our morals and our values and our standards. Compromise leads to lack of moral standards. Lack of moral standards leads to a lack of spiritual discernment. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day of Noah entered the ark. Lack of spiritual... For 120 years, what did Noah warn the people about? The judgment of God. But did they listen? Did they heed the warning? No, they just went about eating and drinking, marrying and being given to marriage because their compromise and their lack of moral standards. All of a sudden, they had this lack of spiritual discipline that they didn't see the day of judgment coming. And I can't help but think with everything that's taking place, even in the last two years, we still lack spiritual discipline. Going life our married way without even thinking about the day of judgment that is coming when the Lord shall appear in the clouds. Now, we can blame this on Satan because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of Christ. Listen, there's a world out there who have blinders on. Satan has blinded their eyes and they can't see the light of the glory of God's grace. And we need to pray that blinders would be removed from unbelievers and that they may have a revelation of God's light. But also let me say that the blame can be put on mankind because we have a choice. Joshua said, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man has a choice as to who we will serve. An acceleration of sinfulness as in the days of Noah. An acceleration of sinfulness. Hey, I... I know for maybe some millennials, the world doesn't seem too bad from when you were born. But some of us baby boomers to the society we were born, to the society we're living in now, there has been a great acceleration of sinfulness. I want to talk about an approaching storm. In the days of Noah, there was an approaching storm. There was judgment that was to come. 
Do you realize two years ago at this time, we were all home watching church online because of the pandemic made a And over the past two years, I've said it, I've heard people say it, I can't wait till we get back to. I don't think we're going to get back to normal, folks. Remember 2001, September 11th? Remember that day when America was attacked. Travel since 9-11 has never been the same, has it? It affected how we did travel. And I have a feeling that as a result of this pandemic. Listen, they're already scaring us about a BA2 variant. That there's parts of China and parts of Europe that have been shut down. And within three weeks, watch out because the surge will come to America. And we're all on edge. Now, I heard a newscast say the other day, don't throw away your masks. And I'm like, ah. And we hear this variant, that variant, that variant. Did you you know the the Omicron and the, what was the other variant? Delta Delta and Omicron, there's going to be a relationship. And now it's going to be a Delta Cron. You know, that's, that's the third, fourth, with fifth wave that's going to come. Deltacron. Be aware that Deltacron is coming. It's just a new way of life. And in the midst, we had civil unrest. The insurrection that took place in the capital. And just about the time when things were seeming to get back to normal, Russia invades Ukraine. What's normal? But here's the one thing I have noted in all this. It was January 16th. Let me get the year correct, 1991. It was a Wednesday night. I was getting ready to go to church, eating my meal, and on the news, President Bush came and talked about how America and the Gulf War, the um, uh, desert storm, that America was at war, we were desert storm. I remember going to Bible study that night. I was up in Clifton. I entered the fellowship hall. And what was normally about 25 to 30 people, that night, 100 and plus people were in Bible study. Because America was at war, it was something that united people together to pray. And on September 11th, Tuesday, 
I'm telling you that Wednesday there were more people in church that ever been to church on a Wednesday night than before. It used to be crises had a way to unite us. But over the past two years, what I've noticed about crises is that they divide us and no longer unite the church. And I've even heard people talking about what's taking place in Ukraine that's divisive and not united. And I happen to think about all this and wonder to myself, how much more does God need to do, what more does God need to do than get our attention by these things that are taking place? But as in the days of Noah, because it really doesn't affect us and we pay a little bit more dollars at the pump, but we can go about our life, we don't even think of an approaching storm that is coming in the final day of judgment when the Lord shall appear in the clouds. In the days of Noah, so the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind. A storm was coming. But people were ignorant. Do you know this? I thought about this. As long as the ark was being built, and as long as the door was opened, There was always time for people to escape the judgment. But as soon as the ark, the door of the ark was shut, that was it. And I can't think but how the door of opportunity is still open today. How the Lord is calling, how the Lord is seeking, how the Lord is knocking with his Uh, uh, nail-scarred hands on the door for people to come to him. Amos. Yes, Amos is a book in the Bible. Did you know that? Amos is a minor prophet who told Israel, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And I can't help but through the events that are taking place today, if God isn't saying to mankind, prepare to meet your creator. Jesus said, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Okay, now here's the good news in all this. The good news, and this is what I've noticed, there's always an active Savior. The Lord was grieved. It says in Genesis, his his heart was filled with pain. Do you know why his heart was grieved? Do you know why his heart was filled with pain? Because he loves mankind. He didn't want to do what he was going to do. He loves mankind. And he gave them the opportunity. But they did not respond. And I'm thinking today of how God's heart is grieved with everything that's taking place today. Why people aren't responding to him. Remember, there's always a savior savior in the midst of a crisis. There's always a savior in the midst of a pandemic. There's always a Savior in the middle of civil unrest. There's always a Savior in the middle of conflict, in the middle of war. 
And do you know what the common line denominator in all this is? The common line denominator is there's always an uncertainty. Will there be chemical warfare? Will they drop a nuclear bomb? But even in the midst of uncertainty, there's always a Savior. Noah was spared the judgment of the flood. Moses and the Israelites were were spared from a bloodthirsty ruler. Jacob was spared from the murderous threats of his brother Esau. Joseph was spared life in prison. Lot was spared from Sodom and Gomorrah. We've been doing the book of Judges on uh, uh, the book of Judges on uh, Wednesday nights, and and all throughout we see that this vicious cycle: Israel sins. And then there's consequences. And then they cry out to God. They repent. And God sends a deliverer. And all throughout the Bible, God cares about his people. All that foreshadows that one day God sent a redeemer. Jesus Christ. To redeem us from our sins. The ultimate redeemer. In the midst of crises. In the midst of sin, there is a Savior. I always love Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? And obviously it's like a rhetorical question. No! But even though she might, though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you in the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. What does that mean, your walls are ever before me? He was referring to the walls of Jerusalem. He was referring to their abode. He writes us. He writes us our, our hand, in his hands. He, he engraves our, our names in, in, in the palm of his hands. And he knows where we live. He, he knows our abode. An act of Savior who loves mankind. And what did he do? He sent an able spokesperson. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God always gives mankind a way of escape. No temptation has taken you that is common to man. But with every temptation, what does God provide? A way of escape, says in Corinthians. Noah, for 120 years, warned the people. And his only converts were his wife, his three sons, and their three daughters.
when I thought about how Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord and God always gives forth able people upon an impending storm. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and I. He's talking to missionaries all around this world. In preparing for the Great Commission, I just wanted to share this one thing. Right before Jesus gave the disciples the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And, and, and I never knew this before, except for just this week. Galilee, the Hebrew word for Galilee means circle of heathens. Galilee, circle of heathens. And remember in John chapter 7, and I just thought it was the Pharisees being ugly. You know, the Pharisees in John chapter 7 says, how can a prophet come out of Galilee? What were they saying? There's nothing good about Galilee because it's a circle of heathens. It's it's where the pagans live. It's where half Jews and half Gentiles live. It's just this messy place. How, How can the Pharisees say, how can a prophet come out of Judea? I mean, out of Galilee. But then where did Jesus spend most of his time ministering? Among the heathens. Which reminded me why, I haven't done this in a while, why we value the Great Commission of going into all the world and making disciples of all nations. Going and preaching the world to all nations. The Great Commission, to me, is a mandate. We must. We value the Great Commission. We value the local church. Why do we value the local church? Because it's the vehicle God uses to fulfill the Great Commission. The church is the spokesperson of the impending judgment that you need to get your life right with God. We value people. Why do we value people? Because the church without people is just a building. We value people that God uses as his spokesperson. We also value people who are lost. Who need the message of Jesus Christ. And now we come back full circle. That's why we value the Great Commission. Because we value people. Listen, there's an acceleration of sin. When I look at society today compared to when I was a child, there has been an acceleration of sin. Which confirms to me that every day I get up, it's a day closer to his return. And there is an impending storm. But in the midst of all the crises, there is an active Savior who wants us to be an able spokesperson. I want to close with a quote from Billy Graham that many years ago I read, and it's been forever etched in my mind. 
Billy Graham said this, could it be that one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism today is the poverty of our own experience? Because of the poverty of our own experience. It's just, we don't care. We go about eating, drinking, buying and selling, building. Oh yeah, I'm saved and I'll go to heaven one day. But because of the poverty of our own experience, we don't care about those who are living in darkness. And God has given us a mandate to go into all this world. And if we can't go, we support the ones who can. But we're a witness to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, every day it seems like there is a new crisis. And social media and the media of today just latches on. And Father, there's such a great uncertainty. There's such a great uneasiness. There's such a great unrest talked to a young man this week who was filled with anxiety because of the pandemic and now with the threat of a chemical warfare and nuclear bomb threats his anxiety is just over the top but in the midst of every crisis there is a savior A Savior who is active. And Lord, I I believe that we're living in a new norm. And help us to be an able spokesperson for you. Help us to have a real experience that we can speak into the lives of people who are filled with anxiety, who are filled with uncertainty, who are filled with fear and panic. That there is a God who cares about them. Father, may it be ever on our heart to be able to support every missionary we can to go in areas where we can't. But let not our sending dismiss us of our responsibility to be your spokesperson in this community.
Could we just begin to lift up our voices in prayer for unsaved people? People who you work with, your neighbors, family members. Maybe it's before you even pray for unsaved, you, you need to pray for forgiveness for your lack of experience for not taking the Great Commission serious. Lord, we can complain about the way society is going. But Lord, let us use that energy in being a great witness for you among the uncertainty. 